folks, welcome back to another Besides the Norm podcast. My name is Stephen. We're here with Craig on the other side of the table. I love how you switch between Craig and Monk. I know. I'm, we're just going Stephen and Craig from now on. Yeah. I think it's easier that way. <laughs> so online right now we have Kathleen Leslie from the Conservative Party of Scotland. Uh, how are you doing, Kathleen? Uh, good morning. I'm good. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So we have an election coming up. You all excited? Am I all excited? Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> in a way. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Elections are always exciting. Mm-hmm. They're just very... They are, that's very true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yes, basically, our first question usually is uh, sort of to talk about your childhood. Uh, what was your childhood like growing up? Um, What was my childhood like? Um... Okay, so I spent most of my childhood. I'm originally from the, I guess, from the west of Scotland. I'm from Hamilton originally, although I don't think uh, many people know that because I've spent so much of my life here in Fife. Mm-hmm. Um, my childhood was in Dalgetty Bay in Fife, which is a, I guess, a sort of commuter suburb for Edinburgh. It's mm-hmm. grown quite a lot over the years. Um, I still actually stay in Dalgetty Bay. Um, I went to local primary school here, um, which I absolutely loved. I had fantastic experiences at primary school, enjoyed it very much. I was quite keen in high school. Um, and yeah, that's, that's where, I've, where, where I lived. And I have um, I lived there with my parents and my two younger sisters. Mm-hmm. Dalgate Bay is one of those places that like, I've travelled well, through a bunch of times. Again, it's, yeah. it's, like a, it's like a tourist route to get to Edinburgh and back sort of thing. <laughs> And it's like, it's one of the most beautiful looking places that I've ever travelled through. Mm. And I don't know whether it's like, uh-huh. like any time I've travelled through, like during the summer, it looks a bit like, <laughs> like Summer Bay, like 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 the Home and Away kind of setting and stuff <laughs> like that. It looks great during the summer. Yeah, I mean, we're right on the, I mean, we're right on the coast here and... You know, I think, well, when I was maybe, maybe it's kind of wrong to say it as a commuter suburb. Dalgetty Bay has actually got a huge amount of history. Um, mm-hmm. The home of the Earl of Murray was actually here. In fact, now, now it's been turned into flats, as um, <laughs> most things have been turned into flats and houses in Dalgetty Bay. But, I mean, it's, it is a very old settlement. I mean, St. Bridget's um, Kirk, along at the, the east end of Dalgetty Bay, has been here since the time of the Norman Conquest. So there, there is actually a lot of history. There's an airfield here that was used during the Second World War. Um, so there's a, there's a hidden history behind behind all the houses in the town. And yeah, we do. We've got a couple of um, lovely beaches here as well. Um, again, where I used to spend a lot of time when I was a child. And you know what? I think probably when when I was younger, when I was younger, I was sound really old now. <laughs> um, you know, kids been out, you know, for hours after school during the summer holidays. Your parents, you know, they didn't really know where you were, but they knew you were safe roaming about the town. And mm-hmm. yeah, I really, really enjoyed growing up here. A very happy childhood. No complaints at all about it. I think we we also have a, a thing for Kennaway as well. We also get called a, a, a commuter route between Kirkcaldy and Cooper. Yeah. Uh, we also have that kind of same feeling all the time. I, I, but there is history here as well. Bay, there's a lot here. Mm-hmm. There's yes. a, bit, a big community spirit here as well. Definitely. Yeah, there's a community spirit here. So, I mean, I don't, I don't represent Dalgetty Bay as a councillor. Um, I mean, I represent the ward along from that. But I, you know, I, I know the town well. I know people in the town, um, which actually stood in the in the general election in 2019, which um, the 
constituency according to these covered the town so that that was actually um great for leaflet and i didn't need any roots or anything i know my way around the town and <laughs> i know what people here so yeah <laughs> so what was the ward you represent right now Okay, so I represent um, Burnt Island, Kinghorn and West Kirkcaldy, okay. um, also including Oster Tool, which is not included in the name of the ward, but um, yeah, Oster Tool as well. So yeah, that's the ward I represent. Um, it's the ward I wanted to represent um, when the council elections, well, when my party was looking for candidates in 2017, it's the ward I actually did want to stand in. So I'm very happy with that, that I got elected there. Mm. So just take a sip then. <laughs> Okay, so um, so sorry. When when did you get elected to take that ward? I got elected in twenty seventeen. Um, local government elections then. Um, and yeah, so the party was looking for candidates for various wards, and my my grandmother um was my parental grandmother was um from Kinghorn. My my great granny was born in Kinghorn. I've still got um family there. So again it's a bit like Delgetti Bay. I spent a lot of my childhood in Kinghorn. So mm. when the opportunity came up I was very keen to, to represent it. And I also have family connections with Kokodi as well. So it just seemed like the perfect fit. Awesome, awesome. So we're talking about about your childhood there. Um what eventually sort of led you into politics? Like what what got you into it? Well, that that's um yeah okay. So how did I first get into it? I guess when sorry was that a weird question I, I just asked there? Of... <laughs> sorry, was that a weird question I just asked there? No, it wasn't a weird question <laughs> at all. Um, it's a question I've been asked quite often, and I right. suppose when I sort of times I sort of think that's when I got into it, and then I think no, maybe it was actually a bit before that. Um. I grew up during the 1980s, um, so political stuff, um, obviously the, the miners' strike in the early 80s, you know, it was on the news every day, my my dad was, I wouldn't say my dad was political, but my dad's fairly clued up on, you know, politics and what's going on in the news, so I, I grew up in a house where the news was on all the time, and I was kind of slightly politically aware, probably from about maybe primary six onwards, mm-hmm. and when I... When I went to high school, um, modern studies um, was just a subject that captured my imagination and I was very much into things like the environment and um, I met our, at that time, for a long time of course, our, our MP here was Gordon Brown, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. who, sorry? Just, just, just saying yeah. Yeah, um, so yeah, that was... He was our MP. Um, he he helped my mum out with a couple of um, things that that she's had a couple of concerns and things she'd gone some about. And I, I'd met him a few times. And I don't know. I, I don't really know when the sort of I'm interested in politics as such came about. But I went through a phase probably of writing to MPs of different parties on various issues. It was probably that you know you become a teenager and suddenly become very fascinated with the world around you and. You know, you want to have a say, you want to have your opinion. And when I was um, 15, I wrote to Gordon Brown, actually, saying that I would like to go for a tour of the of the Palace of Westminster, the, the House of Commons and the House of Lords. Um, and he very kindly responded. And I went with my dad to London um, for a holiday. And we met Gordon Brown there. And 
um, I got to sit in and listen to the Prime Minister's questions. I went to visit the House of Lords. I met numerous MPs and Lords who, at that time, I think I was so overwhelmed by the whole experience. I can't actually remember who many of them were, but it definitely had a it had a lasting impact on me because after that, I remember saying, I want to be an MP. That's what I want to be. I've still not achieved that, but <laughs> and it kind of went from there. And I studied um, well, I studied history at university. I did history and politics, and then I did a postgraduate degree in um, in the politics of the European Union. So. It's kind of something that's always been there, and I think for a long time I thought I ought to get involved more politically. I was on and off, and probably from 2012 onwards, I became very politically active. So, yeah, I think, I, I mean, I, I've said this before, um, I'm always like, okay, I'm, I'm not a member of the Labour Party, but I, Gordon Brown was probably the person who did actually inspire me to get into politics in the first place. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. Well, so, I, I remember as a youngster as well, just like... You just met Gogsy Brown. But Gugsy Brun, I've met him twice. You met him twice? I met him, I met him. You pretended to DJ at your work? Aye, that was a photo opportunity came in for there. That was, aye, that was a weird <laughs> one. Um, and I'd met him again at, uh, it was the Beverage Park Festival thing. I met yeah. him with that as well. But, aye. So you've got something in common? You've both met Gordon Both Brown. met Gordon Brown. Different circumstances, obviously. <laughs> uh, I wasn't interested in meeting Gordon there Brown. There you go. I said I had no interest in meeting Gordon Brown. Happened to meet him twice. Well, uh, you've got something in, 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 in common with Gordon Brown as well because he had no interest in meeting you. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I remember when I was younger looking up for some reason to John Major because he was the suited man. I didn't know much about like about politics at that time as well. But uh, just looking up to John Major, which has uh, changed a lot since then. But um, yeah, it, it's pretty interesting that we've like had those had those views. Like, do you feel like because you've spoken about this before, Craig? Yeah, about me. Yeah. Uh, about um, having this sort of like they're your celebrities, politicians. Sort yes, of thing. The politicians are my celebrity. I, I, if I met Beyonce tomorrow, I wouldn't <laughs> care. Like, I couldn't care less. But if I met, uh, I don't know, I don't know who I like. If I met a politician, Dennis Skinner, I like, but he's not he's not an MP anymore. But if I met Dennis Skinner, just because he's so famous in Westminster for being, hmm. uh, let's see, out there, right. see, see, that, there. see that as it is. Yeah, yes, you can see that. Uh, so I'd be interested in meeting him. That would be quite fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I couldn't care less about meeting celebrities and things like that. That mm-hmm. doesn't interest me. Would you say that's very similar to yourself, Kathleen? <laughs> I'm not really a, a big fan of celebrity culture. I think to some extent the sort of celebrity culture came about probably after I was sort of a teenager, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I suppose in terms of, um, yeah, I would say I probably would get more excited about the thought of meeting a politician, or at least I did in the past, than I would have about a celebrity. Yeah, it's quite sad. Maybe the more that you get to know, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> So we both know you're both absolute losers, but we will all move on. Um, <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> so um, so uh, you started to get engaged a little bit there in politics and stuff. Um, what eventually led you to the Conservative Party? Um, okay, so 
I didn't grow up as a member of any political party. My parents were not um, yep. members of any political party. They're probably classic, what would you call, like, floating voters, I suppose, um, when I was growing up. Mm. Um, that That's a difficult one. I guess it may have been... I'm very much about aspiration and the politics of aspiration, and I'm all... I'm a very sort of free thinker. A free thinker. I would say I'm a bit of a, a, a libertarian in the sense I don't particularly like the state and everybody's life. So I guess um, that kind of brought that aspect of it around. I, you know, I obviously said I met Gordon Brown. I, I you know, I, I, I think he was a fantastic MP actually for this area. But the politics of the Labour Party didn't really appeal to me as such. Um, and I've always consider myself very much British. So I guess that's where the part of the Conservative and Unionist Party um, comes in. It just always seemed like a, as the correct fit for me, I suppose. Um, in the aftermath of the referendum, I was very briefly, um, very, very briefly um, involved in the in the Labour Party. But I think that really came about because of the fact I'd met a lot of Labour politicians during the referendum. And I think it was a kind of more social thing. Mm-hmm. Whilst at the time everybody I knew said, You're a story, Kathleen. I said, Yeah, okay then. So, <laughs> <laughs> so But until then, yeah, I'd always I'd always voted um conservative. Um yeah, I think really politics of aspiration and a sort of general dislike for socialism, I suppose, and also because I'm a unionist. So we were speaking to Kaz Paul of the Libertarians yesterday. Was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday. And uh, someday, yeah, I can't remember. We, we were sort of speaking about how uh, we both, so me and Kaz are sort of on opposite ends of the the political spectrum, but we both agreed in that none of us really feel like we've got a home in politics. Like, so I, I tend to join small fringe parties because that just seems easier to not be sort of held down to a party line. And he joined the Libertarians because he felt like. They don't have a party. They, line. they don't really have a party line. It's like a, it's just libertarianism, mm-hmm. uh, and and you seem like you might fit into that sort of thing as well, where you've joined the conservatives because it's the closest to your beliefs, but there might not actually be a party that uh, fits your beliefs wholly. Is that right? Would that be accurate? No, I I, I don't think I, I would. I don't think I would say that. I, when when I say being a libertarian, I think it's because I. I I think really mine to some extent comes about just from I'm not keen on state power, I guess, being in people's life too much. Um, but I certainly don't think I would be quite as out there as um, a libertarian. I mean, for me, I'm also very much politics of aspiration, which very much fits in line, you know, small taxation, small um, state, um, very much fits in with the values of the Conservative Party. So. I don't know. It's Callum, isn't it? He's the the candidate for yeah, the. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't know him, and I don't really know in terms of politics of what their their party as such stands for. I would say that when I talk about that, it's probably more within a a broad general political philosophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he 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 often makes his small the distinction between a big L libertarian and a small L libertarian. So I think between those definitions, you'd be a small L. A libertarian. I think I definitely would be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in. I'm not in favour of the state being completely out of people's lives. You know, I think there's aspects of it, such as things. You know, obviously, we. You know, our our public services very much. You know, 
they're absolutely key. I completely support them. But I just mean in terms of, I just sometimes think that, you know, there has to be, I guess, individual responsibility. I probably sound like a Thatcherite now when I say that, um, which I wouldn't say because that is, I wouldn't find that offensive if I was told that. Um, yeah. So the but area, definitely if I was saying that, it'd be a small L. Yep. The area where we live is very, well, it used to be labour-based, now it's pretty much at SNP everywhere. Um, but we we were sort of brought up with the quote unquote labour values, although many would argue that labour sort of left those values behind a while ago. And uh, I can't remember the point I was about to make. It's totally it's totally left my head. Let's just move on. <laughs> Let's just move on to the the election. Uh, what's your plans for the election? I've messed up. What's my plans for the election? Yeah, yeah. Do you mean in terms of what's my plan in the run-up to the election? Uh, well, I mean, I mean, you, could, you could have made that clearer, Craig. <clears throat> yeah. Be so because I messed up the first question, the second question just didn't... <laughs> the just second didn't question followed on from the, the madness at the I first I promised there was meant to be a point at the first <laughs> thing I said. So the, the, the campaign's obviously going to be different. So what do you think is going to be happening in the next couple of weeks to sort of campaign... But differently, like what? What are the main differences that you're going to notice? Do you think? Well, I've already noticed a lot of differences. Um, <clears throat> we would have been out normally um, delivering leaflets to people, knocking on doors, having street stalls. We would have been doing that for a good few months by now. Um, we would also have been travelling around the country, giving support to candidates in different areas. That, of course, hasn't been possible. Um, obviously, understandably, this this year. Yeah. Um, so it's all been quite, I guess, to some extent, a lot of our, or my campaign and in, in particular, a lot of what, what I've been doing has been, um, has been online. Although now, thankfully, we've been able to go out and deliver leaflets again. Um, which I, I, I like doing that. That's great exercise. You get out and about. I like being out in the outdoors. Um, so being able to get back out and, and do that, which is good, but, it's different in the sense that by this stage in the campaign, in addition to delivering leaflets, I would have been actually on the doorstep having conversations with people, yeah. asking them, you know, if you can tell us how you're voting, you know, if this is, you know, if you're undecided. Um, been doing like phone phone um, canvassing as well. That's another way that I know parties are using to connect with people. I mean, I think that, I think for all political parties, it's difficult this time. Um, I mean, I think there's a question for a long time as to whether or not the election would actually go ahead. Mm. Um, so we have been quite constrained in that sense and what we've been able to do but at least now you know we're able to get out there and yeah you know you, you drop a leaflet off at someone's house and sometimes they're out in their garden or whatever and you get a quick chat with them which yeah. is good it gives you it gives you a wee bit of an idea as to what's going on but yeah it's, it's different so I, I'm in a political party but uh, they're too small to sort of stand in the current elections uh, at least this year right um, so what is the the view on street stalls? And is there street stalls allowed to happen, or is it, is it no? No, no, can't okay. do anything like that. No. Right. Okay. So, uh, has there been any hustings yet? I haven't seen any. I believe there's been some. There's not been any for the constituency that I'm standing in. I'm probably saying that, and I'll probably get an email now telling me <laughs> there is. Um, <laughs> there has been some online hustings. Um, I think in some of the constituencies, I think maybe in North East Spice, there might have been one by the university um, okay. by now. And if there's not, I think there's one coming up. Um, my understanding in terms of hustings, they'll be done via Zoom. 
Yeah. I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah, I think I think one thing that might be better on Zoom is, although I've been in a couple of hustings and there was never really this issue, this issue but the fact that you can mute other people might stop people talking over others. That's, that's a good thing. All right. That might work. But again, I've been in a couple when I've watched a few and there hasn't really been that issue. So I don't know whether it's going to come into play, but I guess it's one situation where it might be better. But mm. uh, it, it will be quite awkward. It, might, it might be. Passionate. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have to say that at one time, I think hustings probably had more value than they do now. I mean, what I've found now, either in hustings that I've been at myself, you know, where I, I've been at the, the table as a candidate yeah. or where I've sat in the audience, just about every single person that goes to hustings now has already made up their mind how they're voting. And, yeah. you know, at one time, I think it was a bit more, you did go along or a number of people went along to listen to what candidates had to say and, you know, might make up their mind or think about making up their mind after it. But I think now there's a lot of everyone's already decided. And, you know, if someone is wanting to have a go at you, they're going to, that's what it's going to be. So yeah. I don't know, maybe by being online, it might, I guess, yeah, the mute button, but also it might encourage people who sometimes might feel, you know, in the audience might feel a bit overwhelmed or, you know, uncomfortable about, you know, the atmosphere sometimes in a hospital, they might tune in. Mm. Yeah. So, but then again, we've all been doing Zoom for sorry? It can be quite confrontational at hustings, I've noticed. Yeah, it can be. And I think, but then again, at the same time, I was just going to say, we've all had a year of using Zoom and Teams and there might be a bit of fatigue. So, I don't know, until I do one, which I'm assuming there probably will be one or two for the constituency, um, I'm not really sure how it's going to... I don't, I'm not sure how that will pan out. One thing I do have to say but yeah, is, at least I'm... Uh, fair play to you, because in 2017, you went to Arsings and it, that was hosted by the People's Assembly. Oh, were you at that one? Yeah, I was at that one. <laughs> and uh, that was... Oh, you, what, were you one of the ones shouting at me? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I was I was sitting in the crowd with the people that were shouting at you. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, Craig, Craig's too quiet to shout. Craig sits nah. with with the shouters. Yeah, I'm not there. I'm not the confrontational type. I'll just have a conversation with you. Oh. But uh, I know a lot of people who are confrontational types. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, we were speaking to Darren Watt. I think it was Darren Watt. We were speaking to him outside, and he was like, "Well, that was that." Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what he said, but it was funny because it was quite obvious that the crowd was biased in a certain way because it was obviously a people's assembly thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I noticed that because I'd done one and Methel as well and the Tory candidate turned up at that one as well and he got a shout out from the host because he turned up to a people's assembly meeting. So I always feel like when a conservative turns up to a people's assembly meeting, they should be respected for that because you're walking into the total opposition of... Well, just just before just before you answer that, Kathleen, I would suggest that you should be respected anyway when you turn up to these things. Yes, but this, especially this. Ah, I, well, I suppose I. But... Th- this is very much. Uh, I mean, one of the leaflets from the People's Assembly is to get the Tories out. Ah, so that that was sitting on the table when the Tory guy came in. So how is that, Kathleen, going into pretty much lion's cage <laughs> at times? Right. Yes, I remember that hustings very well. <laughs> that was probably, yeah, that was probably the first. I'd been at hustings as an audience member quite a few times before that. That was the first time I was sitting at that table. And 
actually I have to say I didn't I really didn't know what I was going into that evening I mm. had been asked to go along to it um, somebody who I won't name but a colleague of mine said oh go along it'll be fun you know just go and see you know it's, it's you know a way to, to speak to people the minute I walked in the door I was like oh goodness this is not going to be fun I have to say I had prepped for those tough things I had all my things in my head as regards if I was elected as a councillor, what I would want to do in the local area, which I was my understanding that I would be talking about. And of course, it was absolutely nothing like that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I was rather shell-shocked after it. There was I'm, a, wondering, I'm wondering if that guy that like suggested you to go off, he's, he was sitting laughing just he as he knew what it was. He, he, he knew. Was it Dave Dempsey by any chance that told you to go and do that? There was. <laughs> That was Dave. The way she's laughing, that was Dave. That was Dave. It was Dave. Yeah, okay. It was Dave. We've, yeah. we've had Dave one, Dave one before. We know what he's like. Yeah, we know what he's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, now, I've, now I've got used to when Dave says, oh, it'll be fun, you'll enjoy it. I think, no, I know whatever it is. I'm not going to enjoy it. It's going to the opposite. So, yeah. But I have to say, I think going along and doing those tough things, it was probably... Although it was such a shock to me, I actually think it was probably better starting out doing things like that. Because right. after that, I kind of think, well, you know what? Those ones were pretty wild. I, you know, I spoke to a couple of, in fact, a couple of people I think got in contact with me afterwards. And then I know that during the general election 2019, when I was out campaigning up in, um, up in Loch Orr, it was kind of like, well, you know what? Respect. You've actually turned up here. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Again, and you know what the thing is I know that there is a perception that there's, there's what they would say was no go areas for Tories but I have to say I always find somebody wherever I go yeah I mean there always is in the most unlikely places I think in areas like this it, I mean it's perceived as being like scary for Tories but I don't think it's I mean there's obviously going to be a lot of anti-Tory stuff said but there's never really going to be a situation where there's not a single Tory. Mm-hmm. Like I think, I think, I think it's pretty okay <laughs> most places. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Wait, sorry. Where are you saying you're based? Kennaway. Ke- oh, you're in Kennaway. Yeah. yeah. Well, you've got a Conservative council in Kennaway. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so I, I don't think it's it's that big of an issue everywhere. I think there's always going to be conservatives in in most places. Mm-hmm. <gasps> That's it, and to say some of those events, uh, if those these put it like they're like muscle builders sort of thing. Some of the things you end up coming out looking like Popeye. <laughs> so great wee things. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so I guess so, we should move on to policies then. <clears throat> so I've I've not seen the leaflet from the Conservatives. We have, we've not had one yet, but I've heard complaints that there isn't too many policies on the the leaflet. Uh, could you sort of talk us through what what you think would be on it? Well, in terms of um, leaflets, so <clears throat> during the election, um, you'll get literature that comes directly through the... It'll come by the Royal, the Royal Mail, yeah. literature sent by the party. All political parties um, do that. Um, what candidates are doing, um, including myself, is that my... My campaign and my my own leaflet, which um, I've been delivering around the constituency, actually has what my um, my key pledges are for the Kirkcaldy constituency if I was elected. So 
In terms of in terms of policies, I mean, I've got, I guess, what you would say, what my, my pledges would be, which do actually fit into the wider um, Scottish Conservative Party um, policies for the upcoming Parliament. So I don't know in terms of people are saying there isn't anything on it. It might just be it's one of these really, there are different flyers that go out, some that don't have a huge amount of information other than, you know, information on you know, remembering to vote, you know, the obviously we're we very much been running this campaign against another referendum. But my my focus for the constituency are on the issues that I that are relevant to the constituency and that I would like to see addressed. And obviously as an MSP you have a little bit more clout to try and get those addressed. Yeah. So what what would be your main things? Well I mean I've got I've got five kind of key pledges in the constituency. Um, I can run through those if you want. Let's, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so my, my first um, pledge is actually um, in terms of the police to cut crime and anti-social behaviour in local communities. Um, that's come about because, well, I know there's been cuts to frontline policing over the last number of years, um, and I'd really like to see those, you know, those cuts restored so that police were back frontline police and um, we've obviously had the merging of our eight police forces into police scotland again i think that's lost the local element and i know that in my work as a councillor there are parts of my ward as there are parts of the constituency where there has been a, a significant rise in anti-social behavior and quite often this is no criticism of the police at all but there just is not the manpower, there's not the resource to be able to always follow, <clears throat> pardon me, to be able to follow up antisocial behaviour quickly. So I would be looking for better resourcing into the, the police and FIFE, um, so, and obviously in the Kirkcaldy constituency where, you know, like I said, I do get a number of um, facts of spirit that's probably every week, you know, I have people come to me about antisocial behaviour. Um, my next um, pledge within the constituency, which is a, a wider um, Scottish Conservative Party pledge, is um, to recruit, uh, well, to train and recruit more more teachers. Um, teacher numbers have actually gone down. There's um, nearly, I think it's 1,700 fewer teachers now than there were in, 20, in 2007. So we need we need more teachers because we need to be able to expand the subject choice. We need to end multi-level teaching for kids. And, you know, our, our environment's changing. I mean, even over the last year, the sort of the, the job prospects, the job market is changing and we need we need better choice. And at the moment, I don't feel that we have the choice that there needs to be. For example, the number of national subjects, the number of hires is often cut in schools. Um, so yeah, we need we we need more, and that's not something you can do overnight. I'm not under any illusions that you know you can if you get elected, you can snap your fingers and that happens. These are things that take time. Mm -hmm. um, if I could, my third uh, pledge. Can I cut in quickly is, here? Yes, yes. Uh, so yes. a lot a lot of my uh, questions will start with. I was speaking to another candidate from this party, and we were speaking about this. <laughs> so I was speaking to the Green candidate, of course, and uh, and we were talking about mental health and. In this area specifically, because uh, I I think part of the issue with mental health here is that there's not enough therapists. So instead of uh, getting sort of specialised treatment for people with mental health issues, you're just given pills, and that was an issue. And so we mm -hmm. need more therapy. But if it's a rural area and there's not enough people, how do you 
increase that number. And so I think that issue comes to teaching as well. Like, how do you recruit, what was it, 1,700 people? If there's not enough, if there's not already enough people, how do you then recruit the people? That That's what my question would be. So what, sorry, I'm, I, do you mean to recruit them to schools in rural areas? Is that what you mean? Well, I mean in general. Like, like how, how would you, like, sort of advertise the post so that you can get more sort of thing? Because yeah. there's a lot less people... Uh, willing to do those jobs a lot of the time nowadays. How would you actually? How would you put it forward so you can get more people to do that job? Well, I think one of the things, um, for example, that that happens for probationer teachers after they graduate is there is a small financial incentive if they'll go sort of they'll they'll be allocated a school anywhere in Scotland, you know, instead of staying maybe in their local authority area, mm-hmm. which then may see them go into our you know go into a smaller into a rural school. I mean. In Fife, when we talk, if we're talking about here, you know, in the, the constituency Kirkcaldy, which is not in general a huge, you know, a hugely rural area. I mean, obviously there are some sort of parts of it, such as Oscar Tool, I mean, out in the, the, the villages, out in the, like the Reams villages, it's a little bit more rural out there, but not without, not being out with commuting distance. And, you know, there are advantages, for example, if you're a primary school teacher um, going into a rural area, you're going to have far smaller classes um, you know, than, than you would in a larger area. Um, so, you know, there, there's a kind of incentive towards that, but it doesn't change the fact that, you know, the number of teachers overall in the country has decreased and, you know, we need, we need to be building on that again because we need to get back to having more subject choice. For example, quite a lot of them kids in Fife will be multi-level teaching, which that would be there might be kids in a class that are, you know, doing National 5, doing National 4 and doing a higher as well. And if you think about that, it's like anything, if you're going to sort of spread the resource a lot thinner, then you're not going to be able to get that same amount of focus on, you know, each year group and each individual. Um, but I mean, I appreciate, obviously, in more rural areas, it's, I, think that, I think that's probably the same everywhere not in Scotland that's what we've seen globally that in rural areas you have to kind of look for those incentives and mm-hmm. you know quite often if you have a smaller class size in a rural area provided you've got you know bus routes you know proper networks then I don't think that is I mean you, you mentioned mental health there yeah there's a there's a huge um, strain on those resources as well which has become far worse this past year I'm happy with that. Yeah. So you were on a, I think it was number three you were on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the third one. So, well, sorry, no, that was only the second one. You're not wanting me on here for too long this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and this, the third one um, is is the NHS, and we need to get more investment into our NHS here. I mean, we've got. I mean, we've got huge, huge backlogs now at the the hospitals. I mean, I, I appreciate that, you know, the past year has, it has been difficult, you know, that a number of, you know, operations, et cetera, have been cancelled. But at the same time, you know, I, I, I know people myself who are actually waiting on treatment, you know, at the VIC, and they're not able to get it at the moment. And we need to really be looking to try and invest more money into the NHS to clear that backlog. And again, some of that comes about as well from training more nurses, more doctors. And yeah, you can't do that overnight either. 
So I would be looking for more. I mean, that, that is, that's actually a pledge to be getting more. That's a sort of party pledge to be getting more investment into the NHS, more more staff in there. Because, again, the number of um, the nursing staff has been cut in Scotland over the last number of years. So that would be my third pledge. Mm-hmm. You want to continue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we could, we could go all day if you if yeah. maybe. What 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 we're, what we're oh, well, yeah, you could, but you'll get fed up. Listen to me. Well, what we are waiting for is uh, the, you know how the, the the Tories get it tight for a lot of people, so we're waiting for the evil stuff to come. Yeah, we're waiting for the <laughs> killing the poor and disabled thing. You're waiting for what, sorry? We're yeah. waiting for the evil Tory policies to come. Yes. That's what we're waiting for. We'll wait for them to all come right, up, and okay. then so. So if you can get to them. Right, okay. <laughs> right, okay. Well, my fourth um my fourth policy, which I this is very much this is a local policy, um, which I have been going on about since before I've been elected, and that is I want far better accessibility at railway stations and in the constituency those that affects the the stations of Burnt Island and Kinghorn. There is not full disabled access to either of those stations. They need an upgrade. Mm-hmm. I um I have been fed up listening to people telling me that we're waiting for the, the electrification of the line of the East Coast line. That's why we can't do it. Well, that's actually nonsense because it's been done at Marfinch, it's been done at Cooper. These two railway stations I mean the, the stations at Cowden Beef and Loch Ely, which are obviously not in this constituency, but they also are needing upgrades as well. I've had constituents of a councillor coming to me and telling me, okay, then you can get on the train in Burnt Island and if you are in a wheelchair or, you know, if you have another disability, even actually if you if you have a buggy, but you can get on that train in Burnt Island and you can go into Edinburgh, but if you come back from Edinburgh on that train, I don't know how you're getting off that platform because there's no access. Mm-hmm. So right. I've actually had a number of meetings in the last few years with Transport Scotland. I was in touch with the Department for Transport in London about this. And it's something I'm going to keep pushing for because in this day and age, to have a railway station that's not accessible to all just is actually unacceptable. Yeah, see, I don't so, use trains very that, often, so I didn't even know that was I don't, a, no, I Sorry? Just, I don't use trains very often, so I didn't even know that was a, an issue. Especially in the last year. Yeah. <laughs> I would have just assumed that they were all updated. No. it's You know what? It's one of these things... It, it's not an issue. You won't even think about it if you're able to walk up and down the steps at a railway station. Yeah. yeah. But if you're not able to walk up and down the steps, and like I said, that may be because, you know, it might be because you're in a wheelchair. It might be, for example, I actually have a colleague who is blind. It might be that you're visually impaired. It might be that you're a mum with a twin buggy. And if that's the case, you're not going to be able to get off that platform in Burnt Island. Those the thing that I find quite ironic is that the southbound platform did get an upgrade some years ago, and I can't really understand why you would upgrade one platform and not the other. That just <laughs> strange. You just end up with like two different colours of paint at each side. It's really annoying. No symmetry. Yeah, I mean, what what people have told me in Burnt Island, for example, is if they come back from Edinburgh, um, I mean, I'm, t- I'm talking about this, I have to say before the past year when obviously everything has changed um, but when people would be coming back say from if you were out for dinner or a night out or whatever in Edinburgh and if for some reason you're not able to to walk up the steps at a railway station you have to actually stay on that train from Burnt Island and go along to Kirkcaldy you, you can go to Kinghorn because you can get off on that platform there 
but go along to Kirkcaldy and, you know, a taxi can get put on, but obviously that doesn't always turn up in time. So mm. there's not access for all on our railways. And it, it just it isn't good enough. There's been upgrades being done. There was a bunch of upgrades were carried out in Scotland in what they call like a control period for railways, which were done over the last, well, in fact, they'll be getting carried out at the moment. But unfortunately, the burnt time for Kinghorn featured on those. And, you know, we want people to be using public transport more. We don't want people, you know, driving into Edinburgh, which is, you know, completely understandable. We should be getting people into public transport where possible. Mm. But if you're not making it accessible, how can you expect people to do that? Definitely, definitely. Totally agree with that. I I feel quite passionate about this issue because it, it really does, like I said, I was talking about this before I got elected as a councillor, and I have tried to do a lot. I mean, I've met Transport Scotland officials on, I think, more than one occasion at Burnt Island Railway. Yeah, I've spoken with people in the Department of Transport because, you know, there's what, what I find here with this is you've got, you've got ScotRail, you've got Transport Scotland, you've got Network Rail, you've got parts of it that are reserved, parts of it that are devolved. So there's all, and then, of course, you've got competing political, you know, you've got You've kind of got different political priorities. So, but in amongst it all, you've got stations that are still not accessible. So, yeah, I'm going to keep shouting about that one because, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, I, it's definitely something that um, I'm very, I'm very mindful of. I think it would be hard for any political party to get away with saying you're wrong on that one. <laughs> that there shouldn't be access. Uh, there's no wheelchair access. Leave yeah. it. It's fine. Yeah. Ridiculous. No, there, there isn't. I don't. I mean, I have to say, no, no political party is would would be thinking that. I can't imagine that any, you know, sort of right-minded person would be thinking that. I mean, of course, it should be accessible. I think the problem just comes down to it's when does that get done and yeah. what other stations are getting upgrades. Obviously, there's only a, you know, there's a, a limited amount of money in terms of that. But then I think also it's in terms of how applications have been put in. You know, who's been pushing for it and. I, I, I just feel that in Burnt Island and the constituency, I just don't feel that the, the current MSP has pushed for it in the way that, I mean, I've not come on here to flag off opponents, that's not what I'm doing, but I think it could have been pushed more than it has been over the last few years, in fact, over the last decade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that one. And my last pledge is in terms of town centres. Um, when I talk about town centres, obviously that does not mean that every town in the war in the constituency, sorry, has a has a large town centre. But the main town, and it does, Kirkcaldy. I think we all are fully aware of the the issues around the high street and the town centre. Um, and I really one of the things I would like to see is changes in terms of planning, so that the town centre become, can become a little bit more mixed use. So it's not just all retail or empty retail. I mean, in, in England now, um, there's been changes um, to planning, which means that derelict, empty high street units can now be turned into um, it can be turned into residential areas. So mm. if you look at Crocodi High Street, there's a lot of empty units. You could actually really make that a very bustling high street with, you know, residential units on that, you know, people living in flats above it, you know, have smaller shops. There's, there's loads of potential there, but there's been a lot of short, quick fixes and they've not addressed a lot of the problems. So I really want to get um, one of my, my priorities, well, in fact, that, yeah, that is my one of my priorities to try and would be to get planning decisions taken more locally 
so that we can get better town centre development. Kirkcaldy's prospered, but the town centre, the high street, hasn't. This is one of the bigger things that people ask all the time. Uh, like hustings and stuff that I've heard. Yes. This uh, was, and this, this is exactly why I was going to bring this up because you've been asked this question yes, before. Yes, this was a huge... How do we fix the town centre? And this has always I've been like, how do you fix the town centre? Yeah. Like, shops are going down now because the, the availability of online shopping a lot of the time has, like, crushed local shops. Yeah, because it's, it is better. Because, uh, again... A lot of the time it's cheaper. You can a lot of the shop around at multiple shops well. in five minutes. Like it. So this was, this was a question I was asked in 2017. And I have no shame in admitting that I had zero answer for it. Mm-hmm. I I panicked. I just shut down. I had nothing. That was the first time I've actually had a solution. Like uh, what you just said there, Kathleen. That was the first time I've had some sort of resolution. Yeah, I think I think really we have to try and for a long time. I mean, we know obviously. Um, I mean, when Martin Spencer's left, in fact, even before it left, when Tesco left the town centre. I mean, we've seen the growth of the retail park. In Krakodi, um, which you know, it's great. You can drive to the retail park. I mean, now you can get, you know, you can go, you can do various bits of shops in there. And obviously, the town centre has suffered. And when you've got larger retailers, like when you had M&S in the town centre, that that's all helpful to the smaller retailers, you know, because people might come in because you know you've got a sort of larger chain store that's there. But then they'll go out on the high street and they're small. I mean, there's a really good photography shop further along towards the west end of the high street which which i use which my mum uses a lot when it's open and but you know that that's a kind of example i'd go into the town you know to go to m&s and you know have a wander about or whatever and then go along there but if you don't have those reasons to go in and that obviously then impacts on your smaller shops as well i mean the last year has been it's been i mean online shopping yeah we all do it now yeah. i think they'd be very well, maybe apart from my dad who doesn't do it, but I think most people do online shopping now. But we can't ignore that you can't get everything. Okay, you can get everything from Amazon, but what impact is that having on your smaller, your smaller retailers and your sort of smaller independent businesses, which we need to support because they're local people and local jobs. Yeah, because one of the sort of really the only things you can get on high streets nowadays is sausage rolls or milkshakes. Yeah, it seems used to, to be, be doing. vape, vape things. Vape shops that's... are big, yep. Vape shops are away. I think the vape shop in Leedon's away as well. I think so. That's not even survived. Uh, it's it's unfortunate the way everything's gone. Like all oh, the shops are dead and it's bad. It's, it's and I just feel that if you were looking towards getting a more of a sort of mixed, um, a sort of mixed setup on the high street. So if you look at a lot of the buildings on Kirkcaldy High Street, they're all stone built buildings. You know, you could get flats, townhouses. I mean, we know there's there's constant house building going on. There are, you know, and one of the things that really does hurt me quite a lot of the time about house building is it'll be in what I would call green areas. You know, we're losing wildlife. We don't, we, we just, we need to be more creative. If you've got space on a town centre high street where you could be building, you know, some, you could have social house and affordable house then, you know, you can have a whole mix going on there. And then, okay, you pop out in the morning and you've got, maybe, a, maybe I'm just being too sort of you know, this is how I would like how I would like to see it. But I do think there's potential. You know, you come out in the morning, you get your coffee, you pick up your paper, you might have, you know, an independent card shop, gift shop, whatever. And you know, you see it and there are there are other parts of the world and I appreciate one of our issues here of course is the climate because it's cold for so much of the year. But you know, it, it is possible to do that, but you need to be a little bit more forward thinking and 
it can't just be small independent retailers and loads and loads of coffee shops if you've not got anything else to come into the town for you need to have more than that yeah yeah we need to support our local businesses you've <clears> got to get people into the town in the first place that's it so yeah. we always end so yeah that so, so we always end. Oh, with a, a, no, 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 no. Oh, sorry, a, a bit more of a, a critical area because um, well, that's what that's what people want. Uh, so, I guess we we should talk about the independence referendum. Uh, you're not in favour okay. of independence, <laughs> is what I gather. No, I am not. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, it's it's a big thing just now. There's a few people talking about it. Uh, and and I guess because you're not in favour of independence, you wouldn't be in favour of a new referendum. No, certainly not. Why not? I'm not in favour of an, another referendum because we had a referendum in 2014, which we were told was once in a generation referendum. It was done. There was a, you know, there was a clear winner in that referendum. We need to move on as a country after that referendum. We need to, you know, particularly now, a year after the pandemic started, the country needs to get itself settled. We need to focus on a recovery. A referendum brings upheaval. It would be naive for anyone to say that it doesn't. It brings upheaval. I still don't believe that there's a majority that would want that. And I think that, you know, that say has been, we've had it. We have to move on now from it. So... What about the issue that people bring up? <laughs> Pretending it's not me that's bringing it up. <laughs> uh, the issue that people bring up where Boris Johnson said that the 2019 general election would be one in a generation. Does that stop what? Us? The 2019 would be... Boris Johnson said in 2019 that that general election was a once in a generation uh, election. Should we not have another general election? I don't really follow the question. I don't. I don't, I don't know that. So, I, I don't know that Boris Johnson said that, but I, I don't really know how you can equate a general election, which can lead to a change of government, with a referendum, which can lead to a country dividing. I mean, I, I know that there are, you know, there's people here that are very critical of Boris Johnson, but you know, ultimately, he's a prime minister. He's here for a set amount of time, and then he's going to be gone. You know, we might elect a Labour government next time, we might elect another Conservative government with a different Prime Minister, but the point is, Prime Ministers come and go, a referendum's a one-way street. I think that's the point. I think people uh, don't agree that it should be a one-way street. If a country can change its mind and go from uh, a Conservative government to a Labour government within four or five years, why couldn't uh, a country change its mind from wanting to, from not wanting to be independent to want to be independent, uh, what I think. So what happens? Eight years later. So what happens if a country chooses to be independent and then five years later decides it wants to rejoin? Do you think that's a straightforward process? Probably not. But I don't. I don't see why that would change anything. Surely democracy is a case but, of going with what people want. If people change their mind and then want to go a certain way and then change their minds again, that's just that's just part of what democracy is. 
absolutely, and that that is the case in terms of an election. I fully agree with that. But what you've got to remember is that in 2014, it was very clear. It was once, I mean, the SNP, Nicholas Sturgeon, Alex Salmond all said it was once in a generation and the outcome of that referendum would be respected. And the outcome of that referendum was no, that, you know, Scotland chose to remain within the United Kingdom. And, you know, almost the next day, we had we have to have indirect too. I mean, you know, this happened in Canada with Quebec. There was a referendum and Quebec chose to stay within Canada. And then it was pushed and pushed and pushed again. And then there was a second referendum. And again, Quebec chose to stay within Canada. Well, what, in another few years, have another one? I mean, the way that I look at it is Scotland is part, we are, Scotland is part of the United Kingdom. We're not a different country. We are one of four nations that makes up the United Kingdom, which is that, you know, that is what the country is. So to continue to, to push for another one, no, it seems that it seems settled. It was once in a generation and we've had it. And we have to now focus on recovery from the pandemic. We have to focus on the issues that, in my mind, have been ignored for far too many years now in Scotland. There you go, there you go. Not least to far, further up. But the other thing as well, I mean, in terms of that, I, I don't see any huge shifts. We keep saying that this is what people want, but opinion polls, and I'm, I have to say I don't go all the time by what opinion polls say, but we've had opinion polls that over the last couple of years keep tracking. We've got a little bit more support for independence. Then we've got a little bit more support for staying in the union. But it's still sitting around the same amount. And given that, that that's, you know, you're speaking to a small section of people when you're doing these. So there is certainly no, we have to have, you know, we have to leave now. You know, there's, a, there's not a huge upsurge at this point. I just, I, I don't see it. I don't think the results from elections have indicated that it has been, I mean, there, there's, there's been shifts. But if you look at, for example, in 20, in the election, God, we've had that many elections, in the election in 2017, which was three years after that referendum, the Conservatives got 13 seats in Scotland. In the same year, you know, we had council elections where we elected a record number of councillors. Yeah, there was a dip in 2019 but these these dips and things you know it, it happens that's part of the democratic process but there's not been a, a a dramatic change in the sense that suddenly you know it looks like 80 percent of the country is demanding a referendum they're not there you go that's it you got any more last questions craig before we no, go okay. excellent right okay so we're on to our, uh, the last <laughs> section of the show um we okay probably me personally more than anybody else. Um, I hate the idea of hustings and stuff like that where um, people are uh, asked to sum up what could be like a, a really like sorry, a really tough policy to fix in about three minutes a lot of the time. Uh, they do this on radio stations as well. You can get asked sort of really tough questions and you're asked to do it within two or three minutes sort of thing. But I do find them fun. So <laughs> I, I hate the idea of like the politicians being asked to do them, but I, I, I do like to do this section at the end. So I'm going to give you two minutes, Kathleen. Right. All right. Okay. I'm going to just put you on the spot for two minutes, just for fun. This is not serious. Uh, so it's quite serious. It is an election. It is an election, but uh, yeah, yeah, fine. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to give you two minutes, Kathleen. I'm going to count you down with a three, two, one, and we'll get started. Is that all right? Are you going to ask me a question? No, no, or I'm, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to ask um, if you could uh, tell people why they should vote for you, and I'm going to give you two minutes. Okay. Uh, three, okay. two, one. 
Go. Okay, you should vote for me because, first of all, we need to end division in Scotland. We need to move on from a referendum and we need to rebuild Scotland. And the way that I believe that we can rebuild Scotland is with a set of fresh new policies which are focused on recovering from the pandemic. For example, we should be looking at policies to get, as I've stated earlier, to get more teachers. Because if you get more teachers, you get more people in your schools then that feeds into everything else. That feeds into being able to train more doctors, more nurses, more police, to be able to invest in other things as well to get education right. You'll get everything else right. At the moment, we have got reports that have come out, international reports, which the Scottish government, the SNP government, will not release. Um, so we don't know what's going on in education. We have got, for example, we've had cuts to our police, which we would like to um, reverse. Scottish Conservatives are committed to pledging more funding to the police, more funding to education as well. So again, so we can move on from that. And I suppose my, my other point that I've talked around here as to why people should vote for me, because I want solutions to things such as the lack of accessibility at railway stations, and I also want solutions to our town centres, which would mean a return to planning, being more with local people and local authorities, because again, like most things in Scotland, it has become absolutely centralised under the SNP government, which has taken a lot of decisions away from local people. And as a Conservative, I very much believe in localism within within Scotland. So, and I think that for the constituency of Kirkcaldy, we need a fresh new voice that's actually going to be listening to people. For example, when I talked about crime and antisocial behaviour, I know there's that that concerns people in a lot of parts of the constituency. And, you know, we need to be getting solutions. We need to get more police out there. We need to get local police on the ground again as well. So I guess that's kind of... And, and also, of course, the vote. Sorry. <laughs> I think that's it. That was perfect. That was, that was two minutes on the dot right there. Awesome. You, awesome. Right. He okay, only does good. that because he likes doing that wah, wah, wah thing. <laughs> Stupid thing. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's, I, I, I find it really annoying when they do it in Huston's and stuff because you're asked, like, oh, how do you fix a high street? Two minutes. Yeah. But you then, have to give this huge policy and. Yeah. And that's where I do it, just to show how kind of absurd the whole thing is, really. Yeah, you can't get you can't get quick fix solutions. I mean, I, I've always said that that you know, if elected, I'm not going to give you a solution to something overnight because you've yeah. got to work with different you've got to work with different groups, different people. You've got to realise that things do take time. But that's one of the reasons why I feel that we do need that change because we need to actually start focusing on these issues, and I don't feel that we are at the moment. Definitely, there you go. Well, thanks for joining us. It's been much appreciated. Thank you.